when, despite myself, I had an idea of a sort of gothic tale of three orphans and a terrible villain who would be after them and nothing ever good would happen, I was so certain this was a terrible idea for a children's book that I refused to meet the editor in any sort of professional setting and instead suggested that we meet at a bar. Author Daniel Handler, a.k.a. Lemony Snicket, today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Baby boomers had the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. Millennials had Harry Potter. And Gen Z had Lemony Snicket. From 1999 to 2006, author Daniel Handler, writing under the pseudonym Lemony Snicket, wrote a series of books called A Series of Unfortunate Events. There were 13 books in the series. Book number 12 is the one I talked to him about in 2005. That book was called The Penultimate Peril. So here now, from 2005... Daniel Handler, also known as Lemony Snicket. Now, I guess if nothing else, you're going to teach large numbers of people the meaning of the word penultimate. Um, yes, it's uh, quite saddening to me, actually, as I traverse this more or less great country of ours, that I meet so many people who seems to, uh, to seem to think that the word means about the same as the word ultimate, mm-hmm. <laughs> but with some sort of extra emphasis. <laughs> well, they will, they will get a rude surprise, perhaps, when book number 13 comes out. Well, but... very many people have said, we've always thought you were the penultimate author, <laughs> which I guess they mean as a compliment, but really is quite threatening in tone. <laughs> is this not a book we should be opening or reading? Uh, well, no, not, I think, if... Um, if you have the stomach for such a thing. I mean, it's a dreadful, <laughs> dreadful tale. It, the, the three orphans are in uh, great heaps of trouble, and why anyone would busy themselves with this kind of thing when there are so many books, and I might add radio programs that could take up a decent person's time. <laughs> I gather you have an awful lot of fun writing these. Well, there is something uh, freeing about uh, coming up with a list of dreadful things that might happen to helpless children, yes. <laughs> You do sound rather cavalier when you say that. Well, I'm glad that those things aren't happening to me, but as long as they're happening to others in the safety of a book, yes, I feel somewhat cavalier. So where does the plot take us in this installment? In this installment, I'm afraid to say that the children are uh, together in a hotel, which is filled with uh, sinister and mysterious goings-on, mostly involving people they thought were dead, or at least that they would never see again, and perhaps even wished were dead. Uh, they find themselves uh, wandering from room to room trying to pick up the pieces of a sinister mystery that really I don't even think I should speak about on the radio. I mean, there's so many people who listen to the radio when they're in their car. And when you think about someone suddenly being overwhelmed with grief while driving around listening to my voice, well, that's a traffic accident waiting to happen. <laughs> but what could possibly go wrong in a hotel? I mean, you've got long carpeted hallways, you have the mini bar, you, you have, have sinister concierges, you have blackmail, you have flammable materials that the hotel is made of, you have a sinister Indian restaurant hidden, you have a sunbathing salon, you have all sorts of very, very terrible things. You have a spa in which the steam is so thick that you might take one person for someone else. And lastly, you have a trial, which is commenced in the lobby, which uh, seems to have the sort of honesty and decency that one uh, would expect from a trial that is entirely rigged. <laughs> do you know, each time you start a book, where the, the general storyline of the book is going to take you, or do you just start yeah, out? sadly, and... I do. Uh, <laughs> sadly, I see no way but down when a book begins. Um, it's uh, in the same way that, that water naturally flows down from the mountains to collect in a large body. The, uh, the plot sends the spiral downward, leading readers and characters alike into a miasma of depression. <laughs> but does that mean the that only you... real mystery is why people would giggle about it, frankly? 
I will castigate myself as soon as I'm done with this interview. Yeah, I'm but, sure it was uh, just a nervous giggle. But, yes. <laughs> Does that mean that you know the ending of the book and you're, that you're aiming toward that particular ending? Well, yes, I actually had the ending in mind um, when the first book was published uh, way back in 1999. So it's more that I'm getting closer and closer to it. Sort of like when you... Uh, or a young child, and you realize one terrible moment that you will die, and then the rest of your life is spent creeping closer and closer toward that moment. I almost get the feeling it's sort of like because uh, I hate the, the, that Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disneyland because you have you're in the total darkness in this boat, and you know it's coming because you can hear the screams of the people ahead of you. And it's just that horrible sinking feeling in your stomach when you realize your boat's going over the edge now too. Yes, how like life that is. Yes. How charming of Mr. Disney to remind us of that. <laughs> yeah. That's why I can't stand to go on that ride. But that's a whole other thing. I mean, the, so is, is, no, is, we can focus on that if you'd like to. <laughs> There's nothing I'd like better than to sort of unfold the problems of Mr. Bill Thompson. <laughs> Tell me about your mother. Oh, a sweet lady who never would have understood the, the whole unfortunate events of, of the Baudelaire's. I, mean, I she, find it hard to believe that anyone who raised you cannot understand a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> was, the Bobsy twins, she understood. And the, the, well, the Bobsy Twins, if memory serves, were always getting in trouble. They were always finding themselves in scrape after scrape after scrape. But it was very benign kind of trouble, you know, just if... Well, still, the cumulative weight of that much benign <laughs> trouble. I mean, that's 75 or 100 books. When you think about that kind of benign trouble, that's going to add up to serious trouble before too long. That's true. Now, did you ever read the Bobsy Twins when you were growing up? Uh, not when I was growing up, but... Um, Recently, I was given the Bobsy Twins, I think, sort of as a curative, and so I read a few volumes of them. The twins themselves seemed quite irritating, but I didn't mind the trouble they got in. <laughs> well, you read a lot when you were a kid, I gather. Uh, yes, I couldn't really think of anything else that I preferred to do. When you're a young boy, you're often encouraged to play sports, and nothing about that was appealing to me. Um, there was something uh, I just found quite uh, tedious about enforced competition and uh, suggested fun. So I spent a lot of my time reading books, yes. And not only reading, but I gather you knew from an early age that writing was your destiny. Well, just about every other writer I know ends up being a writer because he or she is unable to come up with anything else to do. So yes, I wanted to be a writer when I was very young, and I knew a lot of people who wanted to be writers, but um, we, uh, everyone else seemed to abandon that plan. So I, I gather, though, that the idea of writing for children was not your, would, would not have been high on your, your priority list when you, when you were starting out. When I was starting out as a person? <laughs> when you were starting out as a, as a professional writer. Uh, well, it had never occurred to me that the sort of stories that popped into my head uh, were uh, appropriate for a children's publishing house. Um, I had written a novel called The Basic Eight, which is set in a high school. And as a result, editors at some publishing houses asked me if I might be interested in writing uh, for young people and not just about young people. And... Uh, I said no. I couldn't imagine that the sort of story I would think of uh, would be appreciated by by a, by a publishing house for children. Um, and when, despite myself, I had an idea of a sort of gothic tale of three orphans and a terrible villain who would be after them and nothing ever good would happen, I was so certain this was a terrible idea for uh, for a children's book that I refused to meet the editor in any sort of professional setting and instead suggested that we meet at a bar so that I would tell her my idea and she would tell me that I was a terrible person to write for children and then at least the evening would not be a complete waste. <laughs> um, but instead she said she liked the idea 
which really made me nervous because I just thought it meant that she was a lightweight, and I <laughs> anticipated with dread the following morning that she would call me and say that was just a whiskey sidecar talking. Uh, but it turns out, well, it turns out she's Canadian. So far from being a lightweight, she uh, gravitates naturally toward sort of chilly situations. <laughs> and she told me she liked the idea and asked me if I might write it down, and that is, in fact, what I've been doing all this time. Then you had to actually write the books. Well, yes, uh, which is harder than going to a bar, but uh, <laughs> but just as intoxicating. <laughs> Do you look forward with anticipation to writing, or are you, or, or will you be eager to finish the series? Um, well, both. I like very much writing. Um, I've never understood people who are writers who don't actually seem to like that process. Um, but I'm, I'm also, I, I don't know, I, I'm always anticipating the next book, and so as I finish the 13th book, I, I look forward to finishing the story. What do you tell young fans who, who I'm sure, approach you or email you or, or leave messages in your machine saying, oh, please tell us the series isn't over. I mean, we got to have more. I mean, 13 isn't enough. Um, well, I try to really get them to admit that 13 books is probably at least 12 books too many, <laughs> if not 13 or 14. Um, I mean, most of the people that I meet are quite concerned for the Baudelaire's, and even though it seems that they would want the adventures to go on longer, I think once it's over, they will really feel as if a great weight has been lifted from their hearts and minds. Will all things be answered in Volume 13? Do you think if I, had a, I could write a book in which all things were answered? <laughs> I would not waste a moment talking on the radio. Daniel Handler turned 50 earlier this year, and although Lemony is now in retirement, Daniel Handler continues to write books and poetry. Have you subscribed yet to Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and we're available on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, to mark Anthony Bourdain Day this week, my 2001 interview with the chef turned author turned traveler. When I started out in the business, cooking was something you did in between, uh, you know, roofing and house painting jobs or, or convictions. Now it's a career, it's a glamour profession. Who saw that coming? That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thompson.